Hey there, I want to take a quick second to thank you for listening to the Focus Point Podcast. I hope that you find a blessing and encouragement through this episode. I hope that you'll share the episode with your family and your friends. If this is one of your first times catching us, or if you want to find out more about us, or if you want to listen to other episodes, please visit thepointoffocus.com, and there you will find our podcast archive as well as more information. Once again, that's thepointoffocus.com, and once again, I thank you for listening to this episode. Well, we are continuing on in our series in Genesis. This is episode six of that series. This is episode seven of our overall series for the year called The Journey to the Promised Land. So if you have a copy of the Bible handy, whether it's electronic or paper, whatever you're using to um, look at God's word, you can pull that out and we will be in Genesis three today. Um, And as I said last week in the episode when I jokingly said that, you know, I was said we weren't going to take so long to get through this. Um, there's just a lot of stuff in the first couple chapters of Genesis that we can sometimes just steamroll past, look over and whatever. Um, but as I also said in last week's episode, this is where it kind of picks up a little bit. We're going to be spending, um, a little, um, spending more time looking at entire chapters instead of just bits and pieces of the chapter um, in a more verse-by-verse kind of thing. So uh, we'll be in all of Genesis chapter 3 today. Um, that's where we'll be. We'll be reading different portions of it as we kind of look at this story. And um, then next week we'll be in Genesis 4, and then we'll be looking at Noah's story and then the Tower of Babel. So that's a little bit about where we're going um, for the rest of this initial part of the Genesis series. And so as we are continuing on in this, we're going to be looking at, like I said, Genesis 3. And so we're going to be looking at three different things that we see in this. And all three of these things are going to start with C. I'm excited for that. Sometimes it's hard to do that. Um, you learn that in school when you go to be a pastor or a teacher and you're learning different things about the Bible and learning how to prepare a sermon and all of that stuff, like, which is not what these are, but it's called alliteration and doing all of that gets difficult sometimes, but this is done, um, three C's. And so we're going to be looking at those as we embark on this chapter in the book of Genesis. So uh, if you're there, I'm there, and we are going to kick this off. And so um, the first verse, Genesis 3.1 says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so right here, right off the bat, we see this word shrewd. And if you're using the Bible app or if you've read other translations of, of this verse, um, you'll see that it uses the word crafty, it uses the word cunning, and it uses the word clever, and then this word shrewd. Uh, all of them are pretty much synonyms of each other. As a matter of fact, cunning, uh, shrewd, I'm sorry, cunning is a synonym of shrewd. Crafty is also in there. So when this word translates through the different translations, it translates to being the same, just using a different kind of word, but it all kind of means deception. 
And so when it says crafty and cunning and clever, he was like the master of deception. And we see this in this first six verses here when this conversation takes place between Satan and um, Eve. And so the verse continues with, One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So, as we looked at last week, okay, this, this one rule was don't eat from the tree. But it appears they've added an extra bumper in there, a guardrail, if you will. They, they put in there that we, we can't eat it, so let's not even touch it. Because it sounds like that's what they've kind of adapted for themselves. That extra buffer there to where they just won't go near it, they won't touch it, they just, just stay away from it. If we're not supposed to eat it, then we got no reason. Okay? But it appears that some things have changed a little bit. So we're going to finish reading this and then we're kind of going to unpack... Um, kind of unpack these first six verses for a little bit and then um we'll go from there so then it says verse four (laughs) you won't die use your imagination picture when when you're trying like when you were growing up and you're trying to get your friend to do something it's not gonna hurt it'll be okay that kind of stuff when you're trying to get your friend to do something stupid and so you you have them go ahead it won't hurt And they do it, and it hurts, and you laugh, and it's all fun. Yeah, okay, well, less humorous kind of idea happening. You won't die, the serpent said. For God knows that when you're, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and the fruit looked delicious, and wanted wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. And they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So now, what does this? What does all this mean? Let's let's picture all. Let's put all of this together. So the first C that we're going to unpack here is choice. I said it last week, we got choice from the very beginning. And sometimes that confuses people, that how, how, how God can um, give them choice in all of that. Well, it's important to know that choice um, is important to authenticity. If there was no other choice, then Adam and Eve would have been just doing what, doing what they were doing. They didn't know any different. And so God gave them this choice, and they had a choice to eat from the tree or not eat from the tree. And I feel like this didn't happen overnight, as most things do. Like when you, when you start to get into trouble, when you start to kind of like, it's, a, it's one of those things that just kind of, you, you kind of coast into. It's a slow fade. And I think that's what happened here with Adam and Eve. I think they got bored with the same things. They, they had tried all the other trees. They would looked at all the other trees. They'd been at all the other parts of the garden. And this was just becoming more and more 
enticing. As I said last week too, when you have one rule, right? When you're when your parents or when you're at a friend's house or when you're anywhere and you get one rule, right? There's one rule, you can't do this. And that makes that just that one rule more and more appealing. Then they got bored, the same old things. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil began to look fun, began to look good. But see, the thing is, is the tree is named the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because that's what it was going to give them. It was going to bring knowledge of good and evil. It was going to bring evil into the world. It was going to give them that knowledge that we, that we, especially them, but we were never supposed to have to begin with. It's very named. It's very, very rightly named. And so... One, they found themselves standing right next to it. They found themselves right in its, its crosshairs, right there where they could touch it. And as we see, they, they touched it and they ate from it. And the, the, the scary thing about it is, is that, at a, sorry, is that um, Lucifer... The, the serpent, Satan, knew exactly what he was doing. And I didn't pick up on this until just a few years ago. But Lucifer was cast out of heaven. He was Lucifer. He's one of the, he's, you know, pretty much kind of like the second in command. He was God's brightest angel. He was, he was um, God's kind of right hand, really. And um, he decided that he wanted to be like God. He decided that he wanted to overthrow God. He decided he wanted to be better than God and all of that. And so God couldn't allow that to be in his presence. So he kicked Satan, I mean, kicked Lucifer, sorry, out of the, the, out of heaven and down to earth. And his name became Satan. And that can be found in Ezekiel 28. And uh, you can find that there. But, um... Now I, now I see this, right? And this very same thing, they got him into trouble trying to be like God, right? Because that's what it says. That's what the Bible tells us, that you will be like God. One of the other translations of the Bible tells us that you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. There's stuff there that God doesn't want you to know. He's keeping stuff from you. Shh, he's being secretive. Like, eat this and you'll know. Trying to get them in the same trap that he fell into. He knew it wasn't going to work right from the start. He knew that this kind of thing, trying to be like God, wasn't going to work. It's why he was down there to begin with, after all. And God then asked them, right? God then comes along and he has a conversation with them. And here's, here's that conversation. So we're in verse 8. And it says... Um, that when the cool evening breezes were blowing, we talked about this a little bit last week, and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from her, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called out to them, "Where are you?" Actually, he called out to to the man. It's important to kind of realize that, like he he left the man in charge. And the man was supposed to tell Eve what to do. And the fact that he was in proximity enough, but he let her do it. Because the Bible says he was with her. It wasn't like she had wandered off and got into trouble on her own. 
this was kind of like a co-op thing. I know, especially in church, in church atmospheres, you know, and even jokingly outside of it, like people comment like, well, if the woman hadn't ate from the tree, we wouldn't be in this predicament. No, no, it's just, it's equal, it's equal the same. It's the same amount of fault. Adam had to be close enough to stop Eve from doing it because he took the fruit from her to eat it. So we got to keep that in mind. He replied, I heard you walk, so verse 10, Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid because I was afraid, because I, I was afraid because I was naked. No, who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And here's where we'll stop right there for a second and we'll we'll come back to that. And God um, asked them a question. God asked them, who told you that? Because they were feeling shame. They were saying things that he doesn't say to his people. Okay, This is important, this choice. They were feeling guilty and shameful. And that's... Satan talking. God doesn't want us to feel guilty and shame. God sent Jesus so we don't have to feel that way. We should feel, we should be upset and we should feel a little guilty and stuff like that. Because if we do stuff that dishonors God, but what, what happened here is they were using words, I was afraid, I was feeling shame, I was feeling guilty. Those words never existed in the Garden of Eden because there was no such thing. There was no such way to feel that way. And that's what Satan does. He was filling them full of deception and deceit and just all of that stuff. And then he was filling them full of, you did it. You're guilty. Look at you. Hide. You got to hide. You're in trouble now, buddy. And that's what he was doing. He's pointing his finger. And so he um, just didn't um, believe that they had done that, right? God just was so um, upset. And the way they were feeling was exactly the way Satan wanted them to feel, not God. God had how he wanted them to feel. And then that second question is where it kind of snowballs from there, right? And so... Verse 12, as I, I mean, sorry, verse 11, it's, have you not eaten from the, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And then Adam replied, verse 12, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the woman, then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me and that's why I ate it. So now we got this little blame shifting going on. Well, he gave me the, it's like when you're, when you're growing up with your friends or your, or your, or your siblings, right? Well, he gave me the ball and I, and I, and I kind of drop kicked it. I punted it and it went through the window. Had he not given me the ball, I wouldn't have kicked it through the window. That's exactly what's happening here. He told me to eat the fruit. And so I did. And then I gave it and then she, and then she gave it to me and all this, and this blame shifting happened. And so we see the second C. The second thing is, is consequence. And this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time um, talking about it um, here. So for the serpent, it said, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the other animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly. A little side note here. And I've been kind of joking about this with the, the kids that I volunteer with at my church. Um, 
they, uh, this says here that you will crawl on your belly. Does that mean snakes used to walk? <laughs> Sorry, just a little bit of a side note. But if it's a punishment, then that means they had some other means of getting around, <laughs> right? Does that mean they had little feet? That's kind of like snake walking weird, okay? Groveling in the dust as long as you live, the rest of that verse says. Verse 15, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between you and your offspring. Um, Sorry, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That's future talking about Jesus. Um, then he goes on to the woman because everybody involved here is going to get consequences, right? I mean, I'm sure that's happened to you growing up with your friends or your siblings, right? Well, he gave me the ball and I kicked it. Okay, well, you're in trouble and you're in trouble. Plain and simple, right? All this blame shifting. Then he says to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and pain and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And then he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle and you will struggle to scratch a living from it. I will grow thorns and thistles for you, though, grain, <clears throat> though you will eat it of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and dust you will return. So then we've got this, this idea here. And this is where I have developed the idea that life in the garden was perfect up until this point. There was a different kind of work in the ground and taking care of the garden Right. Maybe it was picking up the sticks off the ground. Maybe it was just taking taking the animals for a run. Maybe it was, you know, t trimming off like the overhanging branch. I don't know. Like many different things because the Bible tells us that he had to work the garden. But this right here says that now the ground was cursed and that he would have to work for his food. Meaning that if it was a punishment, Adam didn't have to do much work in the garden. This says to me, using my imagination, that if Adam ate a blueberry, the blueberry just kind of popped back up. Or if the, uh, a blueberry bush, or, or, you know, kind of wilted or whatever, another one just kind of appeared. Because as we saw in the creation account, water from the ground watered the garden and made things grow and all of that. So if this punishment that he had to work by the sweat of his brow, he would get food... It's not a punishment unless it didn't exist before. And that is what I, that, that is why I believe the garden was a perfect place and that the work that Adam and Eve had to do in the garden was a little bit different than we know work to be. Because, like I said, this, this punishment makes, it believe, makes me believe that it was a simpler kind of time. Because if God is dishing out punishment that already existed, if he, if he already had to dig holes and plant seeds and weed and all of that stuff, then this punishment would have not been a big deal, right? But it sounds like what God is saying here is now thorns are going to come up and it's going to be harder to, to do. But there's a third C. 
And this tells me that there, there are consequences for stuff, right? Whether they come now, later, it doesn't matter. There, there, there's consequences for actions. But here's um, the final C. The chapter doesn't end there. And this is um, where God, I mean, oh, sorry, real quick. One final punishment, though, um, comes in verse 24. Actually, sorry, verse 23. Um, so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord stationed a mighty angel, a mighty cherubim, to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword flashed back and forth, guarding the way to the Tree of Life. So, we, uh, and it says even in verse 22 that they have become like us, knowing both good and evil. They can't take away from the, they can't take from the tree of life now. Like, that makes it too easy. Now we've got a problem. And it's just in this, like, in that one verse, right, it just, it, it just shows us this problem that has arisen from eating from this tree. But something that we can easily skim over that we can go by really fast is verse 20 and um sorry verse yeah 21 um is the third c and that is compassion even though he had to dish out punishments even though he had to had to discipline and even though like now like i believe god does less disciplining of us and more natural kind of consequence kind of thing. Like when we make a choice, either we're taking steps toward, we're journeying toward God or we're journeying away from God. But any way you look at it, he's there when we turn around. I go back to the prodigal son story who decided to start making choices that took him away from his father. The father in that story represents God. And so it's, he was taking steps that weren't helping him get closer to the father. But when he turned around and realized his mistake, the father was there, ready to greet him, ready to, to welcome him back, right? So even though God d dished out these punishments that they had to have, and even though God had to kick them out of the garden because they couldn't eat from the tree of life now, because that's not the way it worked. That relationship had been severed. God still shows them the third C, verse 21. God still shows them compassion, and verse 21 says, And the Lord God made them clothes from animal skins. And um, clothes from animal skins for Adam and his wife. God still looked at them and he still took care of them. But here's one of the first instances. And this is where we're kind of going to lay foundation that we're going to keep hopping around back to. This is why these all kind of go together. There's little, little bits and pieces, right, that carry on. This is the first instance, and you can kind of, and like I said, we can miss this one verse. Like, all we can see, because once again, like, it spends a lot of time talking about what they did wrong and all the punishments that go along with it. And then in this one verse, God slips in compassion. Because he knew they had a problem, he knew they were naked, he knew that wasn't going to work, so he makes them close. But here's one of the, the, the deeper angles that we're going to pick up on later on, probably 
in the book of Exodus is probably where I'm going to mention it again. So several episodes later. But we see here the first idea that something has to die to cover up sin. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Something has to die to cover up sin. And so when we see that they made animal skins, okay, so where did God get the animals? These were the very animals that Adam and Eve had named. And they had to be sacrificed to cover up their sin, to cover up their shame, to cover up their guilt. And that's what the Bible tells us. But it also calls back to the fact that something has to die to cover up sin. Something has to die to take that payment away. And one final thing I'm going to bring up with this is um, the elephant in the room. Um, is trips people up from time to time is it says the Bible says that God said they would die. And this was not like instant they didn't bite from the apple and fall down like you know in Snow White, like where she bites into the apple and it it kills her and all that. That's not what happened. God didn't mean that kind of death. God didn't mean instantaneous death. God meant that now they would be mortal. They could have lived forever in the Garden of Eden. And no telling how long they did live in the Garden of Eden. But in that moment when they ate from the tree, they became mortal. And now we're subject to death. And we see in uh, chapter 4 or 5, one of them, it says how long Adam and Eve lived before they died. And so it's like this, this paradise... This, this promised land, really, now suffered all the consequences. And now, you know, pretty much life as we know it existed. And, but I want to go back to this, this compassion thing. God still knows what we need and he still gives us the choice. And that choice is to choose him or not. And because we're not perfect and because we're not, um, because we're not Jesus, we're not going to always choose God. That's the, that's a truth. We're not always going to make the right choices. We're not always going to make the right decisions. We're going to find out like, we're going to find out that we make choices and decisions like Adam and Eve. Sometimes choices that we know are right and we make the wrong one. (laughs) Like it's just, that's just how it is. But with every choice comes a consequence, and we're going to see that kind of idea. Choice consequence is going to going to build over the course of the next couple episodes as well. And so, where I want to leave it though is that despite those choices, God is still there with goodness and mercy. God is still there with compassion and ready to continue on the journey with us. Even after Adam and Eve ate from the tree, God still came down to do that walk with them. And he does the same for us as well. Back to that prodigal son story. When the son returned, the man threw a party. The father threw a party. God throws a party when we return to him. 
And the thing of it is, is he still has that compassion for us. He still has that compassion for us because, one, he sent Jesus to be that payment, right? That payment for sin is death. We're really foreshadowing here, but that's what it is. That payment for sin is death. Something has to die to cover up sin, to cover that payment for sin. And the reason why God still has compassion and mercy for us is because he looks at us through the eyes of Jesus. He looks at us through the eyes of that payment. So that way, our sins are taken care of. That isn't a free ticket. That's not a a get out of hell free card, as people say it. That's not a just you can do whatever you want and still, that's not what that means either. But it also doesn't mean perfection because God also knows that that's impossible for us to do. Because if anybody on earth could live a perfect life, Jesus wouldn't be important. But Jesus is a pivotal and important part of our relationship with God. This compassion peace that God still has for us and God still has for his people. And we're going to see that as well go through some more of these stories in the next coming episodes. So I want to encourage you, take that thought with you this week. Remember that we have choices and consequences, but we also have God's compassion. And I hope that encourages you. I hope that that blesses you. And I hope that as we continue on in this series, we'll continue to see how much God does love us and how much God loves the people he interacts with. But it's going to look a little bit difficult, especially when we get to the story of Noah. It's going to look a little bit difficult there. Kind of like, okay, wait a minute. I thought thought God had compassion and goodness and mercy. Because we're familiar with that story. We know what happens. But if we slow down like we're going to and kind kind of trek through it, we'll see what exactly is going on in that. And like I said, a lot of this stuff that we kind of see in this early stages of Genesis, which is why I'm going a little bit slower through these first parts, is because we see this foundation getting laid for things that are in the future, right? That, that, that are there. Like I just said, this is the first instance when God sacrificed those animals to give Adam and Eve clothes. That's the first idea that there is a payment for sin and it's death. Something has to die. And so once again, go in, um, Go in God's, God's compassion and God's goodness and mercy because he has it for you. Because he sees us through Jesus. And that's important for us to know. That's important for us to get out of this. Because a lot of people look at the Old Testament as it's just doom and gloom and God's angry and mad all the time. But it's not. God is compassionate. God is there with goodness and mercy that he has for our lives. Because he sits there and he looks through the eyes of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And we are right because of that. So I hope you'll um, come back next week. I hope you feel blessed and encouraged a little bit by that. Um, by that by that truth that God still has compassion for you. And I hope that you'll come back next week and you'll join us as we continue on through this series in the book of Genesis. But remember... God loves you. God cares for you. Even when you mess up, this story is proof of it. Genesis 3 is proof that God still cares for you. God still has a place for you. God still has goodness and mercy and compassion for you, even when we mess up. 
So I'll see you next week.